Our second reading, our gospel reading, comes from the Gospel of John. And I apologize, I um, missed out a number one. It's actually verses 1 through 18, uh, not 1 through 8. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around, and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? <coughs> Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Crown him with many crowns. Thine is the glory 
Christ the Lord is risen today. Some of the hymns that we sing celebrating the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. I've been to many Easter worship services where triumphant blasts of trumpets accompanied the hymns. The choir sang an abundance of alleluias and amens. What a wonderful, glorious day this is when heaven and earth rejoice at the resurrection of our Lord from the dead. The message is a beautiful, joyful one at this, the holiest time in our church year. The culmination of these days that are so holy for us that we call them Holy Week. Our alleluias and the choir's alleluias ring out from the depths of our souls with joy that the Lord lives. And yet, the scene that John describes to us, the scene in the garden, is so quiet, subdued, filled with deep emotion indeed, but not with emotions of triumph and victory, no trumpet blasts, but rather serenity and calm. A feeling that after the terror of the cross, this Easter morning brings gentle reassurance that Christ lives and that all will be well. Have you noticed that there is no actual description of the resurrection itself? No account, as there is in the raising of Lazarus, of Jesus walking out of the tomb. The circumstances surrounding his actual resurrection are mysterious. The grave clothes lie cast aside. The headcloth lies separately, carefully rolled up. All we know is that the body of Jesus is no longer in the tomb. Instead, there is a mystifying emptiness. And at this point, the disciples don't know what to make of this. And the story becomes quite confusing as Mary and the disciples run back and forth trying to solve the mystery. The story is told primarily through the eyes of Mary Magdalene. From verse 1, the scene is one of quietness and stillness. Early, on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. The scene is a simple garden, not jeweled and splendid towers that we hear about in Revelation. And Mary comes into the garden expecting, indeed knowing, that she will find a scene of death. And she is shocked to find the stone removed. The tomb is empty. The story is, of course, the emptiness of the tomb. But as yet, Mary does not know that the empty tomb means the end of the impact of death itself. There is no decay, no corruption, no longer a need to fear death and what it might mean. But she does not know this yet. And she leaves the stillness of the garden to go and tell the disciples. 
The scene that follows is one of confused and frantic action. Two disciples come to verify what Mary tells them. They are Peter, of course, Peter, and the mysterious disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. They go running to the tomb. One outruns the other but doesn't step inside. Peter goes in, finds the grave clothes. The other disciple enters too, and he believes, but they do not understand, we are told. They do not understand yet about the resurrection. Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved, who purportedly testified to the truth of the entire Gospel of John, they both return home. The text doesn't tell us whether they were afraid to be seen there or whether they went to discuss with the others what their plan of further action should be. All we know is they returned home. But Mary stays and the stillness returns. The men's frantic searching is done for now. Did they urge her to go home with them? Did they tell her it was dangerous to stay there? Did she insist that she was okay, that she'd follow in just a few moments? Perhaps. We can only imagine. The text tells us she stood weeping, bent over by the entrance to the tomb. She is deep in her grief, now compounded by confusion and the assumption that someone has cruelly stolen away the body, robbing from her the burial preparations, the final service that she could have carried out for her Lord, her teacher, her friend. The men acted and left. But Mary is so consumed by grief that all she can do is stand and weep. She appears to have no fear for the people who killed Christ, for them coming for her also. In her grief, there is no room left for fear. Perhaps she's unable to move, paralyzed by the intensity of grief. Then Mary sees the angels, who have appeared out of nowhere, it seems, as angels do. Peter and the other disciple didn't see them. These are not the trumpeting, caroling angels of the birth narratives. They are not singing alleluias and declaring peace on earth. They are simply sitting quietly where the body of Jesus should have been. Without doubt, they are there for Mary. Perhaps they were there to attend in some way the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who are we to know what purpose angels might fulfill? But their presence now is for Mary. They address her quietly, gently, with kindness in her grief. How many times have you bent towards a sad, small child and asked, why are you crying? 
We need to have our grief acknowledged. We need to tell the story behind our sadness. Notice that the angels don't tell Mary not to cry. Mary's grief is important. They simply ask her the reason for her grief. Mary seems to have no fear of these angels. Now in the birth narrative, Mary, the mother of Jesus, we are told was perplexed by the visit of the angel. And the shepherds were utterly terrified by the angels. But Mary Magdalene has only one thing in mind, being reunited with the precious body of her dear Lord. As she questions these angels, it becomes clear that they are indeed accompanying the divine Jesus, now risen from the dead, because it is at this moment that Mary becomes aware of the presence of Jesus, although she doesn't know him yet. He echoes the words of the angels, Woman, why are you weeping? It's not until he speaks her name that Mary recognizes Jesus. And she speaks his name too, the name teacher. This encounter is intensely beautiful in its simplicity, each one speaking the name of the other. And Mary finds in that simple encounter the end of her grief. But so much more than that, she finds life instead of death. She finds hope when all seemed chaos and despair. She finds a future when all that was meaningful seemed to be in the past. She finds a reason to go on, to carry on the kingdom-building work that she and the other disciples had been engaged in for so long now. She finds light instead of darkness. I began to think more about this, how Mary, in the intensity of her grief, meets first the angels, then Jesus himself. It is almost as though in allowing herself to dwell completely in that grief. She has no room for feelings of fear. She has no desire, no need to take action, to hide, to plan a getaway, to set up a new course of action. And it is then that Jesus comes to her. Isn't that the way it is in life? Isn't that the resurrection message? That when there seems to be no hope left, when we throw up our hands and say, God, I'm now in your hands. There's nothing more I can do. I don't know how to go on. Then Jesus comes to us, offering hope after all, saying, I am risen and you can find life too. Even though the way seems so very dark and impossible, 
know that I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus did this for Mary, and he will do this for you too. I have found Jesus to be present with people in astonishing ways in the darkest of times. I remember a Latino family at Tampa General Hospital. Their son was unresponsive, and the doctors said it was time to discontinue treatment. The family did not agree with this decision. They felt very strongly that their son was still with them, and they wanted an advocate to meet with them, with the doctors. But first, they asked me to lead prayer at the bedside. These bedside prayers with families were always times of deep, deep emotion, and this time was no exception. We held hands in a circle around the bed. At such times, I do not have words prepared, but I allow the Holy Spirit to guide and to give me words of prayer. She never fails me. I do not remember my words, but I do remember the tears and the ferment amens that the family said. I do remember and will always remember that the young man in the hospital bed, the one whom the doctors said was unresponsive, moved his lips in an amen of his own at the end of the prayer. Jesus Christ was with us in that room with this patient and with the family. I firmly believe that in their belief and in the depth of their feeling, we met the resurrected Christ that day and we affirmed life and healing and hope. Other chaplains, many other chaplains I've worked with, have all told similar stories of the power and the faith in healing. The power of prayer and faith in healing. Hope for the resurrection is often affirmed also at the very moment of death, which is not always, friends, a time of sadness. I'm thinking of a resident in the nursing home, Carol, who had deep, deep faith in Jesus Christ and in the resurrection. It was only two weeks between the time that she was diagnosed with cancer and her death, though she had been a long-term resident of the nursing home. We talked at every one of my visits there. After her diagnosis, just a few days before she died, she asked for communion, and I took it to her in her room. Then we sang together. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, help me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am whole. 
precious Lord, take my hand, lead me home. She told me then that she was ready to meet her Lord, that she could feel his presence close by, that she had tremendous hope for life eternal in the arms of her sweet Jesus. So, dear friends in Christ, celebrate the resurrection with alleluias, with glorious shouts of praise. It is right and good to lift our voices in praise and celebration. Meet the Lord in praise and thanksgiving. Meet the Lord, too, in the quietest moments of your life, in the silence of joy, in the silence of sadness, in moments of deep grief, even of death. Meet the resurrected Jesus in tears of joy at the birth of a little baby, in the great relief of a positive outcome after illness. Meet the Lord when your heart is fully open, no matter whether it is opened in celebration or in sadness. The risen Jesus Christ will be there, arms open wide in love, in life, in sorrow, in joy. Nothing, nothing now can keep us in the tomb for we too are resurrected in Christ. Amen. Please stand as you are able and join me. 